Well, let's pray, people. Uh, Father God, we, um, we just say you are amazing. And uh, your glory is uh, overwhelming. Your splendor, your strength, your power. And Father God, tonight we just say, be glorified in this place. We just ask that your spirit would move powerfully among us, that your spirit would really, really teach us tonight and challenge us and convict us and lead us, Lord, so that we can live more for the glory of you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Amen. It's really good to praise God, is it not? Um, yeah, it's amazing. Well, last week we began a, a series, a new series. It's called Mission is Life. And uh, within this series, the main focus really, week by week, for six weeks, is to look at six steps to talking about Jesus. Um, six steps to telling other people, your friends, your family, about Jesus. And, uh, you know, and the, as we live our lives, that we'd be actually open to God's spirit and where God sort of prompts us with people to have a chat to and to encourage with their search that we'd be able to act and we'd be able to talk to them about this amazing God who sends Jesus to save us. And uh, it's a training exercise, really. So um, the hope is that at the end of it, you take away... Um, you know, a tool, if you like, to be able to communicate your faith, communicate about this amazing God. So um, that's the hope. So, I mean, when you come along and you hear it, you know, it might be a great idea to kind of take some notes or to, you know, if you didn't get it, to like get the CD at the end so you can kind of remember it more and more so that in your life you're equipped. So last week, Jonathan um, started us off and he told us about the first step, if you like, and that's about love. And he said, basically central to his message was that the loving sacrifice of Jesus, it saves us and it motivates us to kind of reach out to other people. So love saves us and it motivates us to seek um, the salvation of others. So everything we do is in this framework of love. Tonight, we're looking at the second step. And the second step is understand. Understand. Yesterday, I uh, spent the afternoon with a couple of friends and we found ourselves at the Indigo Cheese Company, which is at the um, All Saints Winery at Wagunya. And we were sampling cheese. Uh, I like cheese quite a lot. Only, not only does it sound good, cheese, and you say it all the time. My parents are uh, retired dairy farmers, so it kind of comes with a terrain that we like dairy products. Although I have heard some stories about kids of dairy farmers who are lactose intolerant. But anyway, um, I've had this ongoing question in my mind about cheese, and I've really wanted it answered. It seems that every time a cheese platter is set before me, I'm like, <laughs> every time a cheese platter is set before me at a dinner or like a party or whatever, I kind of I get some brie cheese or some camembert, and I go, what's the difference? What's the difference between brie and camembert? And, you know, it's kind of like it's not a big question, but I have had no idea until now. Um, you know, so they're both soft cheeses. Um, if you don't know about brie and camembert, 
Um, both soft cheeses made in like wheels, if you like, wheels of cheese, and they've got this white coating stuff on it, and it tastes pretty good to me. So anyway, when we, I couldn't quite hold it in. When we got to the, this, the Indigo Cheese Company, I'll get to the counter where you sample all the cheese, and I just go, oh, I told, asked this girl, I said, hey, um, what's the difference between camembert and brie? And she kind of scoffed. Oh, don't even know that. No, she didn't do that at all. That's fine. You know, she said, oh, here's the, here's the difference. And uh, basically, it's the size of the wheel. <laughs> it's the size of the wheel. And now, unfortunately, I can't remember which is which, which is going to plague me for another how many years, right? But one of them is made in a small wheel, and others are made in a large wheel. Now, you know, and apparently that's the only... Um, there's no essential difference apart from that. Um, it's the size of the wheel. There you go. Quite amazing. Trivia for you, right? Now, her answer at the time, I've got to say, it didn't really satisfy me because I think surely there's got to be more to it than just the size of the wheel. You know, why don't they just say, like, large-wheeled brie, <laughs> small-wheeled brie, or, you know, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the, the point of it? Anyway, let's say that her answer did satisfy me and I said, great, I've got my answer. When you go to a cheese shop, a cheese kind of company that specialises in cheese, that sells cheeses of different varieties, the person who works in there, they should know by the nature of their work, they should be able to understand the subtle nuances of cheese. You know, to work there surely must mean that they've kind of spent some time trying to understand it or they love cheese so much that their passion draws them to know about it so they can sell it, so that they can, you know, communicate the joys of the different types of cheeses. It's the same for many different things, you know. You work somewhere or you're passionately devoted to something, you understand, you want more understanding and this understanding means that you can actually talk about it. Do you understand your relationship with God? Are you passionate about this? Do you understand it well enough to actually tell another person you know, or how they can begin this relationship? To be able to speak to someone about Jesus, we must understand. We really must understand what we actually have to say in order to help them begin a relationship with God, pretty important. So tonight I want to talk to us about two things we need to understand. And the hope is that we'll be able to commit it to memory, not all of the kind of the wishy-washy stuff that I do in between, whatever, trying to, try to pick out the main points so that you can remember it and you communicate it when God lays on your heart a right time for it. Hopefully it might even spark a bit of a quest for more understanding because this, this will be minimal in the grand scheme of things. So the first thing we need to understand is the gospel. The gospel or the good news. Now, what is it that we need to tell them about? What is this gospel? Because the gospel enables people to have relationship. It enables you and I, if you're already a Christian, it's what enables you to have what you have with God. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, it's what can enable you. It's what can be the way that you can have a relationship with God. Do you understand the gospel? 
Do you understand the gospel well enough to be able to speak it out to someone? So there's a number of models that um, I could present tonight. Um, But I'm going to pick out one just for simplicity, I suppose. And uh, this one is found in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you could open it to the uh, letter of Ephesians in the New Testament. And it basically, the model steps through Ephesians, and it kind of so we can communicate it. Ephesians chapter 2, there are four steps, there are four R's for remembering. The first R is rebellion. And if you've got notepads or whatever, or if, you've just got, if you're really brainy and you're not a goldfish like myself, then maybe don't have to take notes, that's cool. Um, rebellion. From verses 1 to 3, this is the first R about the gospel. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. There are a few things to note we can draw out out of this passage about the state of rebellion that people are in without Jesus. So the first thing in verse 1, people who rebel or sin against God are spiritually dead. We could see another word for rebellion might be ignoring or rejecting Uh, not acknowledging God for who he is. But those people who rebel against God are spiritually dead toward God. So we can see as we follow on from verse 2 and 3 how people live in this rebellion from God, how they actually rebel. They do it by following the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is the devil. Now, obviously, there are obviously really good things in the world, you know, like love between um, people. So not everything in the world is, is bad. When we read the ways of the world, it's a reference to that which is disobedient from God. You know, that which is disobedient to the ways or the laws of God. So people who rebel from God, they live in a way that just kind of proves to everyone that they disobedient towards God. We also see in verse 3 that this rebellion is complete. So in verse 3, it says, All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. No one is spared from rebelling against God. It is complete. Everybody has rebelled against God. And at the end of verse 3, we understand that those who rebel against God are under the wrath of God. So that at some point, they will meet God and will suffer the consequences of rebelling against him. All people will receive the appropriate punishment for rebelling against God. And there will be eternal separation from him. So rebellion is what we glean. It's complete. We do it because we are disobedient to God. Rebellion means we're dead, uh, spiritually dead from God. Now, I reckon most people believe in the presence of God. You know, they believe 
you know, they might not say God, but they'll say, yeah, I believe there's something out there. You know, there's like a, there's something beyond, something bigger than everyone. It's kind of like, you know, God in the universe or whatever it is. They kind of believe that. But most people or many people wouldn't believe that they actually reject or rebel against that God. This is a hard one for people to get sometimes, but the passage is saying that we do because we follow our own selfish cravings. And by doing that, we kind of, we kind of reject the way God wants us to live. So the first R for remembering about the gospel is that um, all people rebel against God, spiritually dead, under God's wrath. The next R for understanding the gospel is rescue. So check out verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, the problem of being spiritually dead to God is that it's pretty hard to make yourself spiritually alive to God. A dead person can't exactly fix up a messed up relationship. We're in a spot of bother, to put it mildly. So the amazing thing that God does is that the most loving thing ever is he provides a rescue plan. There is hope. In this passage, we see that he makes spiritually dead people, he makes them spiritually alive towards him. That's amazing. This merciful and gracious act rescues us from spiritual death and the wrath of himself. This is amazing. Motivated out of love provides a rescue plan. People are in rebellion, but they can be rescued from this rebellion. The third R, if you want to keep following along from verse 6, is resurrection. Verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ, Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The gospel kind of gets even better at this point. We get this rescue, but then we get the the hope of resurrection. Rescued into relationship with God and the hope of a a glorious future so that we will never um, be forever dead. That we'll be raised raised at some point to live with God forever, with him in his presence for eternity. This is amazing. This is a hope that people can have when they're rescued from, uh, from rebellion, given new heavenly bodies. It's amazing. Rebellion, rescue, resurrection. And the final R is raccoon. No, it's not. <laughs> That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Find that in the text, eh? The final R is response. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. People who are living in rebellion from God, they need to respond to this rescue plan, to this good news, this gospel. It's not enough to merely know about it kind of in the brain here. These few verses tell us of a a right way of responding and a wrong way of responding. The right way in verse 8, it says, is to receive this gift through faith. So check out the passage again. 
It's by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, a gift of God. God, in his grace, he extends a gift. He extends this gift, this rescue. And we need to receive it with open arms, through faith, through belief. Now, often people find this part really hard as well. And this might lead people responding in a wrong way, responding in works. People feeling like they must do something themselves to be rescued. Like trying to just be a really good person, trying to do lots of good works. You know, people feeling like they, um, maybe they have to sort out their problems. They've got to get right, you know, kind of cut out the bad stuff in their life before they can go to God. But the rescue is not possible through works. You can't earn your way out of rebellion. So no one can boast about it. No one in this room can say they're better than someone else. We're all on the same terms. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. So he offers us the rescue plan and we need to like put our hands up and say, pull me out, Jesus. I'm in a hole. Please pull me out of this hole. I need your help. The right response is to receive the gift of God through faith. So the four R's of the gospel, to understand the gospel, just moving through that Ephesians 2 is, um, or one way of it, there's, there's many other ways, but this one is rebellion, rescue, resurrection, and response. So rebellion, all people have rebelled against God, spiritually dead and under the wrath of God. Rescue, but God has provided a rescue plan in Jesus Christ. The resurrection, when people are rescued by Jesus, at some point they'll experience a resurrection from dead, from death, and will spend eternity with God. And the last one, response. The right way to response is to receive it through faith, receive the gift. Now, it's really important that if we're going to be able to talk to someone about Jesus, um, that we actually um, understand that and remember it. Now, lots of us have probably heard that you know, countless times, but can you actually, when God provides an opportunity, can you speak that out? Can you speak that out? Do you know it so well you can tell someone about it? Now, I'm not saying uh, that every person you meet that asks you a question about it, you just fire off, bang, 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 rapid succession. There it is for you. No, kind of like there's got to be a bit of play of love and discernment and wisdom. And what is it this person before you needs to hear? Maybe it's not the whole lot. Maybe it's like one aspect of it. Got to be really open, wisdom and love. But there it is. Ephesians 2, that's just one model, one model. Well, the next thing I want to spend a few moments on for us to um, kind of understand is actually how the gospel works. So if someone says, oh, that's all good, but I don't get the Jesus death on a cross bit, what do you say then? How do you explain the importance of that? Now, it could be getting less, but I reckon most people in Australia know something about Jesus and uh, that they know that he died on the cross. When you have a movie like The Passion of the Christ, you know, like, that's amazing coverage, isn't it? Lots of people know about it. I mean, it's at the centre, the cross is at the centre of of the gospel. And it's the way that, uh, that we can have this rebellion sorted out. So it's important that we understand it. I wonder even now if you gave yourself a little pop quiz, if you actually could say, you know, Jesus died on the cross for me, great. Why? 
Do you know what I mean? Like, how does that work? 2,000 years ago, that's irrelevant. How does it work for me now? You know, so many questions about explaining why the cross, why Jesus dying on the cross is so important. Let me start trying to, I've got a, a bit of a theory on justice. I want to start on justice. And this is um, kind of a way of maybe explaining some foundations for why this thing needs to happen. I reckon justice is um, the presence of justice in the world, it's, it'll be universally accepted. So that uh, it's kind of like love. You know, most people agree that love is real. It doesn't matter what culture you come from, what language you speak, kind of everyone agrees on love, that it's there. And I reckon justice is, is the same kind of thing. That wherever you travel, whatever language you speak, whatever uh, culture you're, or society you're in, whether it be a, a subculture of a larger one in Australia or whatever, people understand this sense of justice. So we may be uh, different between cultures, you know, that there's a, there might be different ways of living, but in, in every culture we understand that there's a way of living, that there are laws, that there are custom, there is custom, and that if you break those, there is some punish that has to be kind of delivered to ensure that justice is uh, kind of kept, if you like. Do you kind of get the idea? Do you think that's a, a true theory I just kind of got? That justice is something that we all understand in. So in Australia, we have police who enforce the law. We have a court system that, in, that aims to ensure that, that justice is served. So if you decide you like a Rolex watch in that window, that little watch shop or whatever it is, and you break into the shop to get it, our society says it's not on. That's like thievery, and we're going to like punish you as a result. Because we know that we don't want thieves breaking the law or people breaking the law in our culture. Now, we might not really care about it, but we don't want them to steal from us because that's wrong. You know? So we don't want thieves, so we punish them when they do something wrong. In Aboriginal culture, there's tribal law. Now, you might not agree with it as a, as a form of justice, but in, uh, in many places in Australia, in Indigenous tribal law, when someone commits a wrong, depending on the, uh, the gravity of the, the, the sin, if you like, you might be speared in the leg. And that's kind of the punishment that you deserve. So the truth behind both is that there's a law broken, that there's this sense that justice has to be kind of maintained. We've got to keep justice for the good of society. Well, there's something terribly wrong that's been committed by people. There's a law that's been broken that should never have been broken. And because it's been broken, the earth cries out for justice. The law is this. We were created by God to love him, and to live in a way that honours him. And everyone, everyone at some point has broken it. That's the law that's been broken. So Romans 3, 10 and 12 reads, um, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Now, the way that sense of justice varies between cultures, and some you know, may be more just than others. 
in a true view of justice, there is one overall view of justice. There is one supreme view and the right one, and that's God's view. It's the one we should probably adhere to. Romans 6.23 tells us about the just punishment for rebelling or for sinning against God. It says, the wages of sin, the result of sin, the punishment of sin, is death. The punishment of sin, the wages of sin, is death. God's demand for justice is death. Uh, just demand for justice of this breaking the law is the punishment of death. Everyone that rebels against God, this is God's view. As harsh as it sounds, it's God's perspective of the situation. Justice needs to be served, and God can't overlook this rebellion. So all people have rebelled against God, therefore all people need to receive the just punishment of death. Not just at the end of life, like when everyone kind of croaks it anyway, but when we meet God at the final judgment. Now, when a person receives punishment for their sin, just in a a kind of a general sense, justice has been served. So if you do something wrong, you receive the punishment, it's been served. You no longer have to face punishment for that kind of sin or that kind of error. This, uh, the word for this is, is atonement. So once you do a wrong and you pay for it through the punishment, thereafter you have atoned for that specific sin. It no longer needs to revisit you. So a kid says to their parents, I'm not listening to you, go and get stuffed. All right? The parent smacks them, or not in our day, go sit on the naughty spot or whatever they're supposed to do. As soon as that happens, the child has atoned for their sin if you like. Justice has been served. This is a freeing moment. I can remember the time my butt was stinging. But after that, the job is done. I've atoned for it. I don't have to be punished for it again. Now, the problem people have regarding how they reject God is that the punishment is death. So when we finally meet God and he gives us our punishment, we'll no longer be around to enjoy life when things have been all squared off when we have atoned for our sins. If you atone for your own sins, for the way you reject God, you'll be dead. You'll be dead for eternity. But here's the amazing thing about God and his love. God out of love does something so extravagant and so lavish. And read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This passage is saying that Jesus, God's one and only son, is given, that is, dies on the cross instead of us. Pretty amazing stuff. He can become our substitute. Jesus sent the son of God, God in human form, sent to die on a cross instead of us. Now, to give you a bit of perspective, because that's just, I want to help kind of clear it up or maybe make it more confusing, but we'll have a crack anyway. Um, Throughout the history of God interacting with people, we have what develops the notion of sacrifice. And people uh, in the Old Testament are offering sacrifices for their sin. 
So they do something wrong, they offer a sacrifice. And it's kind of like a payment to satisfy the demand for justice. So they do something wrong, something's got to cop it, so they satisfy the demand for justice on a pigeon or a, you know, a cow or something like that. You know, so they say, oh, this is, this is my sin, and I, you know, kind of, please forgive me, God. They, they, they're kind of the animal, if you like, atones for their sin instead of them. But the problem with the system is like, obviously, sacrificing animals can never really be good enough. Uh, couldn't be a good enough payment for sin because as quickly as you sacrificed an animal, you'd go out and you'd sin again and you'd need to knock a po- another little poor little dove on the head to satisfy that sin. So a kind of a cycle goes on. But Jesus is a different kind of sacrifice. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is perfect in every way and he was the one who died and didn't stay there but rose to life and went to be seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. So he's a, Jesus is like a one-off sacrifice that lives on in its effect because Jesus lives on for eternity. So your little dove, it's copped it, it's dead, your cow's gone, you know. No more milk there either. What was all that about? Cops at once, dead, finished. Got to get another animal. Jesus, God in the flesh, dies, lives forever. So the sacrifice is forever present. So that's where you have this uh, sin offering, this atonement that lasts for all time. So Jesus says, instead of you dying the punishment for your sin, instead of you dying the punishment for your sin, which is the way it was going to go. He says, I can die instead of you. So um, in Romans 3.25, it reads, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. unpunished. So we have Jesus atoning for our sin. He cops the punishment so that we can live forever. You see, justice is now maintained because the punishment of death is administered. There's got to be a punishment of death to maintain justice. Jesus has died our death. So how does the gospel work in a little nutshell that's not all that exhaustive? People must incur the just punishment of death for the rebellion from God. But God, out of love, sends Jesus to die instead of us. There's a lot in there. I don't know how much that's good for you. I just challenges me every time I try and communicate it. You know, once people put their trust in Jesus, no, jump there. It's amazing this really is, you know, that we can have this relationship with God. And this, this is what we're on about as, as Christians is to communicate this. That someone can go from rejection of God, rebellion from God, into this amazing eternal relationship. The final thing for people to do is to respond rightly and live. That's all he's left to do. But you can't, see, you can't just know about it. Each person must put their trust in Jesus 
that he died for them. So if we know that Jesus died on the cross, that's all well and good. But if you want to receive it, you've got to believe that he was dying for you. I wonder if you can do that. And then once we put our trust in Jesus, all there is left is to live for him. It's like being taken out to dinner. Once you've received the forgiveness, you've received uh, forgiveness of sins, it's like being taken out to dinner, the food's been paid for, you don't have to pay, you don't even have to do the dishes because it's all been done. You just need to receive it in love. So rounding up, two things to understand so that we can talk to people about Jesus. Firstly, we need to understand the gospel and I've tried to present Ephesians 2 model, which is rebellion, rescue, resurrection and response. And we need to understand how the gospel works, Jesus dying instead of us. Now, let me put a challenge out to us. Um, Why not over the the coming week, actually with a, a Christian brother or sister, practice like role play a conversation that you can actually share the, the four R's with them. Go to Ephesians and see if you can communicate the gospel out of Ephesians 2. And maybe even uh, pray for an opportunity to, to share it with uh, someone who has questions around you. You know, as we come to understand uh, the gospel more, um, we come to realise that people are in desperate need uh, of rescuing, not from not, from, not by us, because we can't change their heart, but that God in his love and mercy has made a way in Jesus. And as, this, as you think about this, as we reflect on this, and as that penny starts to drop, we want to start praying for people. We want to start connecting with people. We want to start inviting people around us to make steps toward a relationship with God. We want to talk to people about what it means to be a Christian. Praying, connecting and inviting and talking. We're going to look at these over the next four weeks. But there's a challenge for you people. Um, You might have a model, great. Here's another one. Let's seek to uh, really commit it to memory and commit it to heart so that we can communicate this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you um, for your gospel, um, that we can have a relationship through Jesus Christ. And uh, we know, Lord, that when we come to know you, that this is, um, this is just sort of what you've, the command you've given us to communicate, uh, to communicate the good news, to make disciples, Lord. And this is, our, this is what we're brought into. And Lord Jesus, we pray that as we learn of your love and seek to understand your gospel for ourselves more, that this would compel us to love those around us so much that we want to gently and humbly and with wisdom share with them how they too can begin this relationship with God, a relationship that lasts for eternity. God, would you just help us? Would you mobilise us, Lord Jesus, that we can be great communicators and great lovers of people around us? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, is our response time now. When you came in, you would have received a bulletin. And inside the bulletin, there would be a blue response card. And um, let me just encourage us now, give you a few moments to, to fill this out. Um, it's a great time for regulars if you, you might not be a frequent user of the response card, but um, to kind of put in prayer requests for people, to make comments, you know, to put encouragements out to people, or different people that you want to encourage. 
um, yeah, and if you're here for the first time or you know, struggling with this gospel, maybe you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, then there's a space there for, for ticking. You know, I like more information about this. You know, I want to know that I'm gonna, when I die, I'm going to be with God forever. So we'll give you a few moments to fill that out. That'd be great.